Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Welcome Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. to the podcast. We. This is Sweeping America. Yeah. Yeah. Sports podcast. It's Friday, October 29th, 2021. People, hope everybody is having a great day. Hope everybody is having a great week in what is the final episode of the Aratora Sports Podcast in the month of October. Let me just say this, guys. Before we get into today's show, I do want to say I joke a lot. I poke fun at myself. I poke fun at whatever. Thank you guys for your support. We have already shattered the single-month download record for the Aratora Sports Podcast. We have already destroyed... We have already, we're like Ohio State running through YouTube right now. Uh, we have destroyed every number that I have ever done on YouTube. And so thank you guys for your support. Thank you guys for your support of this show. I should give a special thanks to Coach O and uh, Scott Wilbur down at LSU for giving us, giving us never-ending content this month. But it has been an incredible two months since college football started. Obviously, when I left Kentucky Sports Radio in August, I was excited to branch out on my own. But obviously had no idea what would happen to this show. Would you guys stick with me? Would you guys like me? How much of you? Like, like There were so many questions going into this football season from a personal perspective. And so to see you guys and girls stick with today's show or stick with this show in general, I so very much appreciate your support. And uh, incredible October. November is going to be great. Uh, our buddies at Manscaped are coming back for November. They heard about the numbers that we're putting up. We also will have some great guests. Next week, Hunter Dickinson, the star from Michigan basketball. Kofi Coburn will be on the show here in the coming weeks. So really fun couple weeks as we have so much college football content. The college football content, I promise you, will not stop flowing. But we will also be doing some college hoops because college hoops now is about 10 or so days away. Um, today's show, obviously Friday show, October 29th, 2021. Listen, this one's going to be a pretty straightforward one. We have done so much coaching carousel. There really isn't anything new since we last spoke. Yeah, James Franklin said some weird stuff. I have talked about James Franklin at length. I've talked about Mike Tomlin, Dabo Sweeney. So this will be a pretty straightforward Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. We're simply going to rip through all of the big games in week nine. We don't need song and dance. We don't need to create content on a day like today. We have so many great games Florida Georgia Penn State Ohio State Michigan Michigan State Auburn Ole Miss 
that we're just going to go through and we're going to go through all the big games on the Saturday college football slate. And if this is a little bit of a shorter show, this is a little bit of a shorter show. But it is a great weekend in college football. And I do want to really just dive into some of these games that I know all of us are so excited to watch. Before we get to the week nine preview, though, I want to welcome back our partners at DraftKings. DraftKings has obviously signed on with Aaron Torres Media, the Aaron Torres Podcast. They have been an incredible partner of Aaron Torres Media and the Aaron Torres Podcast. And with football season rolling, DraftKings Sportsbook has an incredible new offer for listeners of the Aaron Torres Podcast. Here is what you got to do. New users can bet $5 on any game, and if their team wins... They automatically win $200 in free cash. So just as a hypothetical, I'm recording here Thursday night. Arizona's playing Green Bay. You like Green Bay. You bet $5. If they win $200 in free cash, you don't got to worry about point spreads, money line, this, that. All it is is a money line bet. Pick a team that you like this weekend. Bet $5. If you're a first-time user, you automatically win $200 in free cash. This is all you got to do to get this promo, courtesy of DraftKings and Aaron Torres Media and the Aaron Torres Podcast. Click the link that is in this show description on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to this podcast. Sign up for a new account with DraftKings Sportsbook and make your first deposit. Make a $5 money line bet on any team. Just bet $5, pick them to win, and if your team wins, you automatically get $200 thanks to our friends at DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. It is the best offer going. We love working with DraftKings, so act now before it is too late. I should mention, by the way, if you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537 in Illinois. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia, 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, or call or text Tennessee Redline at 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Must be 21 plus or older, 18 plus or older in Wyoming, Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming only. Minimum $5 deposit, minimum $5 wager. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for full terms and conditions. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. And listen, let's just dive right into this. And like I said, I don't think this is one of those mega long episodes of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Maybe we go 20 minutes, 25 minutes, whatever. But I don't want to do the song and dance. I don't want to find topics. I just want to get into an incredible week nine slate of college football because we know there have been weeks the last couple weeks where on paper it does not look like a great slate of college football games. Obviously, last Saturday we came in. There were zero ranked, ranked matchups of ranked teams. All of a sudden, you get a nine-overtime game for Penn State. You get a, a near upset of Oklahoma. You get a near upset of Cincinnati. And so college football always presents storylines. But this weekend, we don't have to dive in for the storylines. We could just jump right in and talk about these games because there are some mega games in college football right now. And let's just go game by game. And like I said, we'll go as long as we need to in terms of talking about these games. I want to start with the big one. And it's not quite as big as it was about two, three, four days ago. Yes, size matters. This one, maybe not quite as big as we were expecting. But Penn State at Ohio State, for the gamblers out there, the point spread in this game, 
opened at Ohio State minus 16 and a half. It is now up to 18 and a half. The over under was at 59 and a half. It is now up to 61 as I record here on uh, Thursday evening into Friday morning. And let me just say, I think this feels about right, which is kind of insane when you factor in that it was like 10 days ago that Penn State was a top five team that we were thought was in the thick of the college football playoff. What has obviously happened since then? Well, quite a bit. First, they lost to Iowa. It's hard not to feel bad for Penn State. That was a game where they led 17-3 to when their starting quarterback, Sean Clifford, was fully healthy. He goes down with injury. He goes out. And then all of a sudden, uh, Iowa rallies. Penn State can't move the football. But even then, you kind of sat back and said, well, wait a second now. Wait a second now. Yes, Penn State lost, but they still have their whole season in front of them. If they take care of Ohio State, Michigan State, and Michigan, they will still very much be in the playoff. All you got to do is get through your bye, get through this lousy Illinois team that Brett Bielema hates his guys. He's already talking about recruiting over them, and you'll be just fine. Well, we all know what happened last weekend. Penn State could not move the ball. They lose to Illinois in nine overtimes, and now we have a game where this one just doesn't feel as big as it did going in. In terms of Penn State itself, I think you can look at it as a glasses half full, glasses half empty proposition. One, the glass is obviously half empty because we have a very bizarre situation going on with James Franklin. And I know I said I wouldn't talk coaching carousel, but anybody who saw his comments on Wednesday night after practice knows there is something very clearly going on there. He is very clearly trying to angle his way out of Penn State. If you did not see these quotes, um, it was incredible where he essentially was asked about it again. He has been asked about it before, and he did not do the Mike Tomlin, never say never, but never. He did not do the Mike Tomlin, there is not a booster that can write me a big enough paycheck to get me out of here. Instead, essentially what he said was uh, this, was basically he said that it's complicated, that I can't really talk about it. He did say I am fiercely loyal to Penn State, but that sounds like me saying I was fiercely loyal to my prom date when I was 18 years old, uh, and I was, uh, you know, I was dating somebody else a few days later, not because I'm cool, just because I was 18, and, uh, you know, that's how you roll when you're 18. And so I think if you're looking for a negative, Penn State is on a two-game losing streak. The coaching staff is clearly kind of in turmoil, in flux. It does not appear as though James Franklin is built for the long haul at Penn State. And you do wonder if they're coming in a little bit distracted. But I also do think that we're probably not talking enough about what Penn State has already done. And so when I look at Penn State, listen, you can sit there and argue that they are not the team that they were three, four, five weeks ago. But the other thing that you also cannot argue in defense of Penn State is that there is no doubt that they are more battle-tested than Ohio State is at this point in the year. And we're going to get to Ohio State in a minute, but Penn State has already played at Wisconsin, Auburn at home, and Iowa at Iowa. I mean, those are three teams. Wisconsin started in the top 15 nationally. Iowa and Auburn are both in the top 20 nationally. Penn State goes 2-1 and one against those teams. Should have been 3-0 and oh if Sean Clifford doesn't get hurt. And when Sean Clifford was healthy, they moved the ball. Almost 400 yards against a good Auburn defense. Again, 17 points with Sean Clifford in the second in the second quarter, not even at halftime when he goes down to injury. And the good news, if you're, Iowa, if you're Penn State, is that Sean Clifford, we're hearing that he is close to 100% healthy. And so if you, uh, I'm not telling you wh who you should pick, who anything like that, but if you do believe Penn State, when I, I saw them against Auburn, I saw them against Iowa when they were fully healthy and they looked pretty good, I think you're onto something. 
What I would also say is I think I am the conductor of the Ohio State uh, bandwagon right now, the Ohio State train. I said on Saturday night, and I said it on Monday's show, and I posted the video on YouTube, and it blew up. I believe Ohio State's the second-best team in college football right now. And you can debate me, and you can argue me, but at the end of the day, what you need to understand, and what I know you guys understand because you're a very smart audience, is that when you look at certain teams, you can sit there and say, Ohio State, yes, the schedule has not been as challenging as Penn State's. But what do I say all the time? It's not just if you beat bad teams, but how you beat them. Go back to week one, week two, whatever. When Auburn's beaten teams, Auburn beat Akron, I think it was 60 to nothing, and they beat Alabama State 62 to six or something like that. I said, look, I'm not saying that we need to declare Auburn a national championship or Ole Miss a national champion or whatever, but what I am saying is when you play bad teams and you beat the crap out of them, that really does say something. And so you look at Ohio State over the last three weeks, four weeks really, they have been phenomenal. Yes, I know they lost the biggest game to the best team on their schedule when they played Oregon back in week two, struggled the week after that. Here's what they've done in the last four games, though. 59-7 against Akron, 52-13 against Rutgers, 66-17 against Maryland, and 54-7 against Indiana. They played at Indiana, and I do think it's worth noting, Against Indiana, they were up 44-7 at halftime, okay? Indiana also played Cincinnati, the number two team in the country earlier this year. Indiana was up 14-10 against Cincinnati at halftime. And so if we're starting to do, and I'm not talking about for a playoff push or for this or for that or what does it mean in the rankings, what I'm just talking about is let's compare Ohio State with a similar opponent to Cincinnati. It's no debate. Ohio State absolutely destroyed Cincinnati earlier this year, and it's for a lot of the, or, or destroyed Indiana, excuse me, earlier this week, and it's for a lot of the reasons that I talked about on Monday's show. This is a team that was came into the year young and experienced. They lost a ton off that team that played for a national championship last year, and it took them a while. And sometimes in college football, we see this, where the young teams that have a lot of talent, it takes them a while to figure it out. First of all, it happened in 2014 with Ohio State. They lose in week two to Virginia Tech. They rally. They get better every single week. By the time they play in the Big Ten Championship game against Wisconsin, they destroy them. I think the final score is like 59-7 to or something. And you look up and you say, oh, my God, this is the best team in college football right now. And sure enough, they went on to win the national championship. And so with Ohio State, I think we're getting a little bit of those vibes. And the other thing that I think we have to consider with Ohio State is what I talked about a few weeks ago in terms of how the COVID year, the extra year in COVID has impacted college football. You had the elite of the elite teams, the Alabamas, the Clemsons, the Ohio States, Oklahomas, Georgias, whoever, they lost all the guys that they normally lose. You add in the one-time transfer, you maybe lose a little bit of depth, but they lost all of those elite players at the top of the depth chart that all went to the NFL as they always do. Here's the thing, though. These other schools that are kind of in the lower middle pack of whether it's the individual conferences or college football, they actually kept a lot of guys that they would have lost to graduation. I use the example, but Arkansas has like 10, 11, 12, what they call super seniors. In other words, guys that were supposed to graduate last year, but because they got the extra year in COVID, they were allowed to come back for another year and elected to do so. Why do I bring it up? It is because they were playing teams, Ohio State, early in the year. You see teams that have all those veterans, all those guys back. They look better. They look more advanced because they are more advanced. But as the season has gone on, Ohio State has gotten better. 
as I told you on Monday, I think all the pieces are starting to come together. C.J. Stroud, who we had on our radio show Saturday night after that game, he talked about he was banged up early in the year, he's injured, he's hurt, he's this, he's that. He's now healthy. Well, what does he look like when he's healthy? 14 touchdowns, zero interceptions, 73% completion percentage. This, the last three games since, they, since he got back fully healthy. He set out the Akron game, plays Rutgers, Maryland, and Indiana. 14 touchdowns, zero interceptions. Travion Henderson, the star running back, the star freshman running back, is back to uh, kind of uh, establishing himself as an elite running back in college football. Already has 14 touchdown runs this season. And then the defense is starting to figure it out. That same defense that couldn't stop that simple run that Oregon did over and over and over again, Ryan Day, to his credit, shuffled up his staff in midseason, removed his defensive coordinator from play calling duties, lets him oversee the defense and coach individual position groups as needed, and now all of a sudden this defense is rolling. Gave up 35 points to Oregon in week two. They have given up 37 points in their last three Big Ten games. Not bad. And so I could go on and on and on, but what I would just tell you is I think this game is close early. Penn State, to its credit, has historically under James Franklin played Ohio State tougher than anybody else, but I just don't see how they keep up for four quarters. I don't know if they are explosive enough to keep up for four quarters. My official pick, all of my picks, by the way, are at AaronTorresOnline.com. Also, you can find my picks on Instagram at uh, Aaron Torres Pod. My official pick for this game is the first half under because I do believe it will be close early and I do believe that Ohio State will pull away late. I'm thinking something like 41-21 as a final score, maybe 38-17, something like that. Let's get to the other big game in the Big Ten, and it doesn't get much bigger than Michigan-Michigan State. This is arguably the biggest game in this rivalry in decades, and what I would say, I talked about it a little bit on the college football betting show on Thursday morning, is this was a fun week if you were a feature writer, because I read so many features on these two schools. From Jim Harbaugh's perspective, I read all these great, oh, he's having fun again, and he's never felt younger, and he lost 30 pounds over the offseason, and this young off, this young coaching staff has invigorated him. And he basically, by the way, I should mention, threw, kind of threw a bunch of shots at last year's team. He just talked about how much he enjoyed being around this year's team because they love playing football. Basically said that last year's guys were a bunch of softies, and he kind of called out everybody that opted out of last season. But Harbaugh is back. I will tell you, he does. He is coaching and handling himself like old school Harbaugh. I tweeted out the video uh, of him after the Nebraska post game, basically giving the sideline reporter Molly McGrath, who I used to work with at Fox, giving her the stiff arm and running away. He is peak a-hole Harbaugh from like the, the early to mid uh, two, 2010s back when he was in San Francisco, Stanford, and of course the early years at Michigan. Uh, Mel Tucker, I should mention Michigan State, I must have read 30 features on this guy how he is the transfer portal guru, how he has reshaped college football recruiting as we know it by being the transfer portal guy. So in terms of this game, one, obviously a lot of excitement for both teams. What I would say jumps out, though, is a couple things. The first thing is when it comes to Mel Tucker and the transfer portal stuff, I think it's a really interesting story, and I think it's really interesting because of kind of the new age college football world that we're in. But one thing that stood out when you actually read those articles he went to the portal because he had no choice. He went to the portal because Michigan State 
was dereft of talent. Obviously, he took over right before COVID hit in the February of 2020, doesn't have a spring practice, and he came out of last year with not a lot of talent and kind of with the same hardball. I got guys in this program who I don't know if, if, if they love football. So why do I bring it up? It is because I do believe that Michigan State is a very talented football program, but I also do kind of wonder if they're getting a little too much credit relative to what they have accomplished so far this season. That sounds hypocritical. It sounds mean. And oh, by the way, they're going to have plenty of chance to prove me wrong on Saturday when they host Michigan as a slight underdog. But let's go through their resume because I think when you pick it apart, their resume was built on beating teams that we thought were good at the time that really aren't. So first of all, they open against Northwestern. If you remember, Northwestern, of course, was the team that won the Big Ten West last year. They played for a Big Ten championship. So Northwestern, of course, had a lot of hype coming into this season because of their success last year. Just one problem. Northwestern is terrible. Michigan State beat them on opening night. Northwestern, as we speak, is 3-4, and 1-3 and three in the Big Ten. They beat Youngtown State the next week. Then they play Miami two weeks after Miami played Alabama. And at the time, Miami was still ranked they were ranked in the top 25 and Michigan State beats them 38-17 and that was oh my goodness look at Michigan State Mel Tucker they're incredible by the way Mel Tucker's a great coach I'm not I'm not discrediting Mel Tucker but that it's also worth noting that game was going into the fourth quarter 17 to 14 Michigan State was holding on for dear life that was also a game where they pulled away late it was a game where Miami basically matched them in total offense and so we, we made it such a big deal Miami isn't very good. For the record, for people who haven't been following Miami, they're, they actually stink. They're terrible. Right now, they are 3-4, and 1-2 and two in the ACC. I give them credit. They do play hard for Manny Diaz. They are down a million guys with injury. But we're talking about they built their whole resume, Michigan State, on beating a couple teams that are currently sitting at 3-4 and four overall. From there, they struggled, held on for dear life against Nebraska, beat a bad Western Kentucky team, beat a bad Rutgers team, and held on for dear life against Indiana. And so you look at the schedule, and of the Power 5 teams they've played, none have a winning record. Of the FBS teams they've played, none have a winning record. And so forgive me if I question them. I think they're a great story. Kenneth Walker has been awesome. Peyton Thorne, their quarterback, has been better than I was anticipating. I'm just not sold that they are the team that everybody's making them out to be. And by the way, if I'm proven wrong, that's why we do where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. If I look like an idiot come Monday morning, you know I'm going to be talking about it on Monday's show. In terms of Michigan, I will say it's kind of the opposite in my opinion. I, you know, you guys know I've been a hardball defender. I've been hesitant to jump aboard. I think this team's really good. I've been watching them since week one when they played Western Michigan. I said, you know, they look pretty good. Physical, tough, athletic, more athletic than they've ever been under hardball. Now, again, if Ohio State's the second best team in the country, in my opinion, and we're going to find out this weekend, doesn't mean they're beating Ohio State. And I understand that hardball is always going to be judged by beating Ohio State, but this to me is a real football team. And to me, what I like about them, they, they really have no real weaknesses. What I give them credit for is they play old school hardball football, but with more athletic players than he's ever had. They, they s smash mouth 
running game, right? A, a running game that is currently, as we speak here, one of the best in college football. They run the ball right at you and make you make them stop you. They run the ball an awful lot. They currently have the fifth-ranked rushing attack in college football, almost six yards per carry, almost 47 attempts per game. In terms of attempts per game, you will not believe this, but uh, they are right up there with the armies and the navies. Uh, they are currently fifth in college football there excuse me not a little bit below that in terms of carries per game and then on top of that they play real defense top 20 in basically every important category for Michigan football and they're just a complete football team doesn't mean they're elite doesn't mean they beat Bama doesn't mean they beat Georgia doesn't mean they'll beat Ohio State but I think we have to give them credit you start to get past that top three top four top five I think they're right in that short discussion at six seven eight could be proven wrong. I don't think I will be. Final thought on this game, I do believe it could come down to an unlikely thing. Will Michigan throw the football? And I talked about this a lot before the Wisconsin game. I said to you guys, I said, look, I'd, the problem with Michigan, the reason I can't bet against them, Wisconsin, I can't bet on them in the Wisconsin game about three weeks ago, I said, I don't know if Harbaugh is actually going to be willing to throw the ball, okay? Because they run the ball really effectively, but in a big game, in a hostile environment, are they going to be willing to pass the ball? And to Harbaugh's credit, they have been much more aggressive throwing the ball the last few weeks. Cade McNamara, their starting quarterback, against uh, against that Wisconsin team, threw the ball a total of 28 times. He threw 38 times at Nebraska and 27 last week against Northwestern. And so when I look at this team, I do think it comes down to the passing game, especially because Michigan State, by the way, ranks currently 121st in pass defense. And so that is a big thing. Will they be able to get stops through the air if Michigan throws the football? If Michigan can open up through the air, they should win convincingly. If they don't, it's going to be a phone booth game that could come down to the wire. And I think either team could win. Let's talk about the last big game from this slate, and then we'll take a quick break, come back, and talk a little bit about some of the other games. But I do want to get to this big Florida-Georgia game, uh, Florida-Georgia line, baby. Let's, uh, you know, I don't even know any of their songs, so forgive me. But really interesting game. It's the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. The spread on that one, Georgia is a 14-point favorite. The over-under in this one is about 51.5, or at least it was earlier in the day. I'm looking it up right now. 51, so it's at 51 so Vegas is expecting a 28-23 type game if that's what it comes down to but of course Georgia is a 14 point favorite this game in terms of the gambling stuff and I always try to be honest with you I think this is by far the toughest one to project and here's why um, I don't think we know what either team is really going to give us at quarterback and if I don't know what either team is going to give us a quarterback I don't know how you project out this game right so just think about it first of all from Georgia's perspective and I've been saying this for weeks Love my dogs. How about my dogs? But at the same time, as much as I love my dogs, let's just think about this, okay? So let's go back to last year because I do think we as a sports society, as a society in general, there are so many times where we just kind of forget that stuff happened, right? Go back to last year. You know what happened in the Georgia-Florida game? Kyle Trask threw for about 1,000 yards and Georgia had to bench Stetson Bennett, who had been their starting quarterback at the beginning of the season, because it kind of just became apparent, right? They're fine against the Vanderbilts, the South Carolinas of the world. But when Georgia needs to move the ball through the air against other teams that can move the ball through the air, he's just not good enough. He wasn't good enough against Alabama last year in the regular season when they faced Mac Jones, and he wasn't good enough against Kyle Trask last year in the regular season against Florida. So why do I bring it up? It's because Stetson Bennett is, again, 
Georgia's uh, quarterback. And once again, we're doing the whole, does Georgia even need to throw the football to win the national championship? And I'm sitting there like, maybe they don't. But it was just last year in this game that he got benched and that we basically realized if JT Daniels doesn't emerge, Georgia is going nowhere in a hurry. And so I'm starting to worry a little bit about Georgia. Will JT Daniels ever get healthy? And it's weird, right? Number one team in the country, dominant defense. But at some point, they're going to face an Alabama, an Ohio State. There is going to be someone, and I don't know who that team is, that is able to throw the ball and they will not be able to keep up. And so they need to get JT Daniels healthy. I don't believe that Stetson Bennett is the answer. We learned that last year. And so it'll just be really interesting going forward. Problem is, I would love to pick against Georgia. I don't really, I wouldn't really love to because Georgia is my squad. But at the same time, here's the thing. We don't know who's playing quarterback for Florida either. And I've talked a lot about this on the show the last couple weeks. But Dan Mullen is really digging himself a hole right now because it's not just that they're losing. He's 4-6 and six overall in his last 10 games. But the bigger problem with Dan Mullen is pretty straightforward. It's the fact that he is being stubborn about the quarterback situation. You, you want to lose a fan base. It's not about being bad. It's about being stubborn. It's about knowing there is a fix to the problem and still deciding not to do it, okay? This kind of reminds me of what's going on with Dabo Sweeney at Clemson right now. The fan base is starting to lose patience with Dabo, and it's because there are obvious problems that he refuses to address. He is losing players. He is hemorrhaging players, and we're, we're going to talk about Clemson in a minute after the break. He is hemorrhaging players, and he refuses to go into the transfer portal. Says there aren't any guys that can help us. There's... Their offensive line can't block anybody, okay? I was talking to a buddy of mine who covers Clemson this week. He goes, uh, Clemson's O-line is Denny's. They're always open, baby. They're always open, and I don't know if he wants his name out there, so I'll, I'll hold back his name. But I bring it up because Clemson, there were guys in the transfer portal that could have helped you, but Dabo Sweeney's claiming there weren't and that the team's going to be fine when it's clear that they're not going to be fine. And I bring it back to Florida because the same thing is going on with Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen knows the solution to some of Florida's problems. Now, the defense isn't good enough. The recruiting overall isn't good enough. But Dan Mullen could appease a lot of his fan base if he just put in the guy who is clearly the better quarterback. And the clear better quarterback is a freshman from Gainesville named Anthony Richardson. Now, in some ways, to Dan Mullen's credit, he is being loyal to the older player, Emery Jones. Emery Jones, of course, is a fourth-year player, waited his turn behind Kyle Trask, waited was he didn't transfer he didn't leave the program he stuck it out and I think Dan Loyal I think Dan Mullen it's two things I think it's really three one he's trying to throw off Georgia it's like you're not going to throw off Kirby Smart I think he knows what he's doing defensively two I think he is trying to be loyal to this kid for a couple different reasons one because the kid was loyal to him and he doesn't he doesn't want to lose him but then two it's exactly what I just said he doesn't want to lose him to the transfer portal but the reason I, I I don't love Florida in this game either is because Dan Mullen seems insistent on not playing his best quarterback, Anthony Richardson. And if he doesn't play his best quarterback, we saw what happened against LSU. They fell down early and could not make it up. And I don't think you're making up a big point differential against Georgia. And if LSU could run the ball on you, Georgia can as well, and Georgia will as well. And so this is just a fascinating game where I have no great – Georgia's going to win. But I could see Georgia doing what they've done to Auburn, Kentucky, Arkansas – and getting up 24-3 to at halftime and just chewing up the clock the entire second half. Or I could see if, if Dan Mullen commits to Anthony Richardson, I could see Georgia ultimately, or Florida ultimately, being able to move the ball, putting up 14, 17 points, and putting a little heat on Georgia in a game that is closer for comfort probably than Georgia wants. 
I just bring this up to say uh, Kirby Smart, Dan Mullen, they both have kind of unique quarterback situations. I do think Dan Mullen is being stubborn, but it's just one. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I can't ever remember going into a game with two such high-profile teams this late in the year where we really have no idea what either is going to do at the quarterback position. All right, that's what I want to do. I, want, I do want to take a quick break. I do want to come back talk about some of the other games on the college football slate. Auburn Ole Miss, Clemson playing Florida State, a couple others, on and on and on and on and on. But let's go ahead, take a quick break, and I'll be right back. All right, everybody, I am back. Good to be back, good to be back. Let's uh, let's rip through the rest of the week, the week nine slate in college football, because I'll say this, we, we are so focused on those three big games. Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Florida, Georgia, that it just feels like we haven't talked enough about some of the other big games in this slate in college football. First one that's really intriguing to me, Ole Miss Auburn. The game is at Auburn. It's Saturday night and really interesting for the betting public. And even if you're not a better, by the way, I don't want to force betting down your throat. But even if you're not a better, sometimes when you start to see the money coming in on one team and the line moving a certain way, it kind of gives you a reflection of how the sharp people, the Vegas betters think a game is going to go. And often that's how the game is going to go in real life. And so you look at this game, and it's really interesting because it opened as a pick em, which basically means neither team is believed to have an advantage. You just pick who's going to win or lose. Well, all the money this week is coming on Auburn. Started at a pick em. Auburn is now about a two-and-a-half-point favorite, and I think it's with pretty good reason. And it's with no disrespect to Ole Miss, but they're really banged up. And it's really interesting because I actually think at this point with Lane Kiffin, I think you can actually argue that he's become a little bit of an underrated head coach. We still think of him as the guy with the Raiders, the guy with Tennessee, the guy that got fired at USC. This guy came to Ole Miss and in year one put together the most productive offense in college football without a spring practice and without a real fall practice. And now in year two has Ole Miss at this point in the season sitting at six and one. And I don't think people realize this. This is a team that could potentially play in the SEC championship game. They would need to win out. They would need Alabama to lose one more game. But they're six and one. They are ranked in the top 10 right now and do have a very manageable path to get to the SEC championship game. So the question then becomes, why are they actually an underdog? And I think it's actually pretty obvious. It is because they are really banged up in terms of injuries. And so what's really interesting about Ole Miss is that over the last two or three weeks, we have basically had every team in the SEC get a bye. This week, it's Alabama, it's LSU, it's Tennessee. Last week, it was Georgia, it was Kentucky, it was Auburn, it was one or two other teams I can't remember. Mississippi State had their bye at one point. Ole Miss had their bye in September. And Lane Kiffin even said, he's like, we didn't want our buy this early. It just so happened that the schedule broke this way. And I do think it is finally catching up to Ole Miss because Ole Miss is now at a point where this is their fifth straight game against SEC competition. No breaks, no delays, no pauses. And the, the, body, you know, the injuries are starting to catch up to them. And so rather than list them all, I'm just going to read you an, something from an article from 24-7 Sports. Okay, 24-7 Sports is going to lay this out better than I could. So what 24-7 Sports wrote about the Ole Miss injuries, especially on offense, earlier this year, the, earlier this week. This is what they wrote earlier this week. Starting wide receivers Braylon Sanders' shoulder and Jonathan Mingo foot have been missing. Tight end Chase Rogers' foot has been unavailable. Starting left guard Caleb Warren foot missed games against Arkansas and Tennessee, but made his way back into the lineup Saturday just in time for starting right guard Ben Brown to miss his first start in 40 games, a streak that was the longest on the team. 
Mingo, Rodgers, and Brown are feared to be lost for the season. So when you add in the fact that Matt Corral is pretty banged up, you add in the fact that a starting offensive lineman, a starting tight end, a starting wide receiver are all out maybe for the season with injury, you start to get a sense that this old Miss team is pretty banged up, and that is why you see this line moving in the direction that it is. The other thing to consider with this game Auburn is coming off a bye, and they're playing really good football. Remember, right before their bye, they took care of Arkansas. They beat Arkansas. That was obviously a week after they played Georgia, so it's hard to gauge too much. But I don't, I don't think we can argue right now that Brian Harson is doing a really good job as the head coach at Auburn. They're sitting at 5-2. and two. Only losses were at Penn State to Georgia at home. Those were two teams that were both in the top 10 at the time. And I think Penn State, if, if Sean Clifford doesn't go down with injury, Penn State may still be a top five team in the country beat Arkansas on the road, took care of LSU on the road, really talented team. The one thing they do very effectively, the thing I think I would say more than anything about Auburn is they just don't beat themselves. I give them a lot of credit because they are just a really sound fundamental football team. And that was kind of the the hype about about Brian Harson when he was hired as the head coach of this team. He's not flashy. He's not the guy that you wanted. There was talk, obviously, early in the process with that coaching hire that they were going to go get Steve Sarkeesian, that they were going to get Hugh Freeze, that they were going to get this, they were going to get that. Brian Harson from the outside, appears to be the guy that Auburn needed, though. After all the chaos that came with the years under uh, Gus Malzahn, he has brought kind of a an even-keeled temperament, a, a professional air aura, if you will, to that program. I think they're playing really well. I can see why all of the money is coming in on Auburn. Now, in terms of the next game I want to talk about, it is not very often that I talk about a game that features two teams that are not ranked, uh, but I got to with this one because Florida State is a nine and a half point underdog against Clemson. Clemson was actually at one point, believe it or not, Clemson in this game was actually an 11 point favorite. It is down to nine and a half. I'll just say it. I don't get this. And listen, we do where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong every Wednesday. But I get a lot of stuff wrong. I've got a lot of my picks wrong in college football the last couple weeks. I'm just going to call a spade a spade here. You want to make some money in DraftKings Sportsbook, fade Torres right now. But I told you last week, the one thing I got right, I said, look, there is so much hype about Clemson is an underdog. This is, they're going to, Dabo's going to turn everything around. Dabo's going to turn the corner. He's going to get his troops fired up. Vegas has finally caught up to Clemson by not making them a favorite. You know what I said? I said, Vegas actually hasn't caught up. Clemson should be, I said, about a touchdown underdog, I thought, in that game. Pitt wins by 10, and it's exactly what I said. And so when it comes to this game, I don't understand. By the way, maybe I'll look really stupid come Monday. Maybe this is the game that fuels Clemson. It is worth noting. Remember, last year, Clemson, this was a big story. Do you guys remember this story? Clemson flew down to Florida State. This was obviously in the COVID season of 2020. And they fly down to Florida State. They have one kid test positive. There are no contact tracing issues at all. And Florida State just flat out refuses to play. If you remember, it was a big story. I talked about it on this show. The ACC offices actually approved of they actually approved Clemson to play the game the ACC doctor said it was safe to play Florida made their own decision to cancel this game so maybe this is a game that Clemson comes out fired up but I just don't see it this offense is broken DJ Uyilaganlele is getting worse okay did you guys I don't know if you saw this clip but Trent Dilfer uh, was on some show and was asked about DJ, and Trent Dilfer, of course, does all the Elite 11 camps. He knows all these kids from the time they're 15, 16, 17 years old, and he called out the Clemson coaching staff. 
He said, this kid is getting worse. He is lacking confidence. And I don't think that confidence magically comes back in this game uh, just because they're playing Florida State. In terms of the rest of the program, I'll also say, I, I talked about it on Wednesday's show, Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong. Talked to my buddy who covers Clemson. It is very clear there is some toxicity around this program. Um, again, it, it's not my opinion. It's not his opinion. It's just a fact. Every time Dabo Sweeney goes to the podium before a game, after a game, midweek availability, the media is asking him, why don't you use the transfer portal? What's going on with the coaching staff? He is frustrated with the media. The fans are frustrated with Dabo. It's $18 right now to get into a game at Clemson. And so I just don't think there's a lot of buzz around this program right now. I don't think the fan base is juiced up for this game. I think the fan base is frustrated. I think the players are frustrated. And Florida State, I'll tell you, three straight wins. They're playing really well. And if you look at the totality of their schedule, there was a couple games in there early that they easily could have won. Like, we freaked out because Florida State, what they start? 0-4 this year? But go ahead and look back at that 0-4. Three-point loss in overtime to Notre Dame. Three-point loss to Jacksonville State where, let's be honest, they make one tackle on the goal line, they win that game, they lose to Wake Forest, and we now know Wake Forest is actually a pretty decent team. And so you go on and on down the list, they've won three straight, but three of the other four games are kind of explainable in hindsight, the other loss was to Louisville. And so I, I just bring it up because I think Florida State's a good football team. They're running the ball well. Their quarterback, Jordan Travis, is back. And so this is going to be a really, really, really interesting one. Just going to bounce through a couple other games. I'll tell you what, you talk about a game that, one, is interesting from a point spread perspective. Two, not interesting from an actually I'm going to sit down and watch this perspective. It is the Iowa-Wisconsin game. Wisconsin, we've seen. They're terrible. They're awful. We hate them. All that good stuff. They are a three-point favorite against Iowa, a top 10 team in the country this week. And I, I, I do think, you know, listen, in gambling there's called what we call a square play and a sharp play. The square play is to look at Iowa as a three-point underdog and say, who cares? They're going to win. What a bad off, what a bad line. Well, there's obviously a reason for that. But what I would also say is for people who think that Wisconsin have, has magically turned a corner simply because they beat a good Purdue team last week, Sorry, y'all, I don't see it. Because here is how Wisconsin beat Purdue last week. They basically played the perfect game at the perfect time to get a win over a top, 50, a top 20 team at the time. Wisconsin in that game, this is what they did. They rushed for 290 yards. They forced five turnovers on defense. And Graham Mertz, their quarterback, who is a turnover machine, two touchdowns, ten two touchdowns, seven interceptions this year, he threw the ball eight times. Eight times, Wisconsin's quarterback in a Big Ten game threw the ball eight times. Don't know how much you've watched Wisconsin. They are not a triple option team, okay? This is not Army we're talking about. This is not Navy we're talking about. This is Wisconsin. Threw the ball eight times. Well, the reason I, I kind of like Iowa in this game, Wisconsin's not going to be able to get away with that game plan against Iowa. Iowa has a top 15 run defense, so you're not rushing for 290 yards against them. And Iowa does a better job turning people over than anybody in college football. They, at one point this year, had the number one turnover margin in college football. Wisconsin had the 130th ranked turnover margin in college football, dead last in the entire sport. And so when I start to look at this game, I'm sorry, you ain't rushing for 290 yards and you're not forcing five turnovers. I think it's actually, if anything, going to be the exact opposite. And so I'm just sitting here saying, guys, uh, just a really, really, really interesting game to me. Really, really interesting point spread. Not going to sit sit here and lie and pretend that I'm going to sit there and watch it, but it'll be an interesting game to monitor on Saturday. By the way, the over-under in that game, 36 and a half. So Vegas is basically expecting 
about a what is that about a a 20 to 17 type game I have never seen an over under at 36 and a half uh, but unbelievable there a couple other games you know Kentucky Mississippi State I don't really want to spend a ton of time on this I will say by the way Kentucky early on last year you kind of got the sense that one uh, Mississippi State was going to struggle in year one under Mike Leach if you remember dominated LSU in that opener dominate LSU in that opener then the next week they lose to Arkansas Sam Pittman their first win obviously in years in the SEC Sam Pittman gets the W there and then the next next week they play Kentucky at Kentucky final score 24 to 2 as they had four or five turnovers in that game as well so Mississippi State is obviously much better. The game is at night. The game is in Starkville. Uh, the Cowbells will be rocking. That is one I really have no strong opinion about. I do think Kentucky's the better team. I don't think the gap between the two is huge. The home field advantage at night probably means something, although <laughs> the last time Mississippi State played at home in a, in a night game, they lost to Alabama 47-7. to So really interesting. Kentucky obviously is coming off of a bye. And the big story there, I mean, Kentucky's playing for a great bowl game. By the way, I mean, it's not inconceivable Georgia loses a game. Now, Georgia would have to lose two for Kentucky to go to the SEC championship game, but it's not inconceivable that Kentucky, if they went out, could finish 10-2, and 11-1, and go to a really big-time bowl game whether that's the Sugar Bowl, Fiesta Bowl, whatever. I've seen all sorts of projections. We share the projections at Aaron Torres Online every Monday. But Kentucky could have a chance to go to a big-time bowl game. they got to keep winning, though. It does start this weekend. Just trying to rip through any other games that I kind of find interesting. I'll say this. Nebraska, 7.5-point favorite against Purdue. Nebraska is talented, but they are just a team that cannot get out of their own way. I can't see this being a seven and a half point spread, but that one really stood out to me. Um, in the Pac-12, a really interesting late night game between UCLA and Utah. Both teams actually took losses last week, so it was kind of interesting because had UCLA beaten Oregon, they would have been in the driver's seat to win the Pac-12 South and go to the Pac-12 championship game, which this year is being played at Allegiant Stadium, the new Raiders Stadium, and I think it'll actually have a good atmosphere. Um, you know, the SEC championship game is always great in Atlanta. The Big Ten has found a home in Indianapolis, and I think the best thing that has happened for the Pac-12, the Pac-12 basketball tournament, which I go to pretty regularly, that is always at T-Mobile Center in Vegas. That has been a great home for that tournament, and every year more and more fans come. I think the Pac-12 football championship is going to be a great thing to have at the Allegiant Stadium in Vegas. It's going to be a great venue for that. Right now, though, uh, the team that wins this game is going to have a huge advantage going forward because if Utah wins, they'll be 4-1. and one. Arizona State is currently at 3-1 and one in the Pac-12 South, but Utah has the head-to-head -head win over Arizona State. If UCLA beats Utah, which I don't think is going to happen, Arizona State would then have the edge as the only 3-1 and one team in that conference. They would also, of course, have the head-to-head -head win over Utah. Arizona State, by the way, is playing Washington State. Speaking of the Pac-12, should mention, by the way, Oregon playing Colorado. Colorado's terrible. I mean, I, I'm not going to get into too much of it. Colorado has really struggled to move the ball. That is a game. If Oregon doesn't win this game, they don't deserve to be in the playoff. But, I mean, you talk about, and I'm going to wrap now because I'm going long, as I always do. But you talk about a narrative that got overblown. When Oregon lost to Stanford a few weeks ago, the idea that Oregon was completely out of the playoff picture Give me a break. Oregon's sitting at 6-1. and one. They have a very manageable schedule going forward, although Utah, and I'll say this, Oregon State is playing pretty tough too. Oregon State is actually atop the Pac-12 uh, North standings along with Oregon. 
you, I mean, Oregon, if they went out there in the playoff, right? Like, like you have to give them the advantage over Ohio State, who they beat head-to-head. They'd probably have the advantage, depending on how things shake out with Cincinnati. And so Oregon is in prime position. They just got to win out to make the Pac-12 championship game. But I'll tell you what, I think that's it for today's episode of the Air Tours Podcast. Remember when I was like, yeah, I'm going to go 20 minutes, 25 minutes. We'll keep it short. I, yeah, I lied like I always do. But I think it's time to get out of here. I want to thank you guys for listening to today's episode of the Air Tours Sports Podcast again. Last episode of October, and I just have to say thank you guys so much for your support. I mean, the support for this show this month has been absolutely insane. Like I said, record, record, record-setting numbers on YouTube, and then on also on the actual downloads of the show, uh, we shattered the record early. We, we broke the record earlier this week, which means we'll shatter it by the time that we hit Sunday night, Halloween night. Uh, but yeah. I think that's it for today's show. Thank you guys for your support. If you're not subscribed, now is a great time to do so. iTunes, Spotify, the Podcast Addict app, Amazon, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe. Also, rate and review. That would actually really help if you could leave a nice little rating. Let it, let America know how much you love Torres. Uh, Aaron Torres Online is the place. I've mentioned it before. We've started team-specific accounts. If you're a Kentucky fan. It is Torres on UK. No, we're not talking about Britain. We're talking about UK. If you're a Bama fan, Torres on Bama. If you're an Arkansas fan, Torres on the Hogs. If you're a Tennessee fan, Torres on the Vols. And we just started Torres on Indiana. Little IU. Shout out to my boy Mike Woodson. If you're an Indiana fan, go find that page. It really will help. But I think that's it for today's episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Let's get out of here. I want to thank you guys for your support. I want to thank our partners at DraftKings. By the way, like I said, our buddies at Manscaped, they will be back next week. They reached out to me. They said, we want part of the Torres machine. We want part of the Torres Express. So thank you guys for your support. I'm about to get out of here. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. Shout out to James Franklin, who is trying to angle his way out to L.A. where I live. That is all for today's show. Thank you guys for listening. I will be back on Monday. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.